0: PBS's The Great American Read is an uh, eight-part docu-series on exploring America's 100 best loved novels. And in one episode in particular, um, they feature heroic characters, and they explore how we love uh, historic characters in novels. And uh, it includes books like 1984, Charlotte's Web, Don Quixote, The Hunger Games, and The Invisible Man. That's just some that they look at, and it's looked at in the documentary quotes literary experts, authors, everyday book lovers, and they talk about why they love heroes and uh, how they relate to heroes. In fact, uh, listen to some of their comments. One writes and says, a hero is he who uh, we all wish we were if we didn't have our own personal limitations. Uh, Another says, I think that when we hear heroes or see them or read about them, we think about qualities we wish we had. Courage, strength, and fortitude and bravery. Another says, reading about everyday heroes gives us hope and it lets us know that you're not alone in the good fight. Another writes, I think we aspire to everyday heroes because we wish to be them. In moments of great tragedy, we see people drawn to the people who went beyond their job. The people that rushed in were angels fear to tread. Another writes and says, the hero lifts us. It redeems what we try to do. The hero provides us an archetype that gives gives us a direction that says to us, let's go this way and we'll all be okay. Another writes and says, we'd like to believe there's like a hero gene in all of us. My wife gave me a plaque. It hangs in my study. She gave it to me several years ago and I love it. It says this, it says, always be yourself unless you can be Batman. And then you should always be Batman. Well, I love that. But there is that part of us that always says, uh, 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 we love heroes. We love what they represent. Now, tomorrow is a day to remember our nation's heroes. Um, Men and women who have given their lives and given their very blood for the freedoms that you and I know. It's a sad thing that many are forgetting how we got the freedoms that we have. Just this past week, I saw... um, Kind of a man on the street interview but it was interviewing college and university students and they asked them this question do you know what memorial day means would you be surprised if i told you the vast majority of those college students couldn't tell you what memorial day was what a tragedy now they were willing to speak out about issues that they were uncomfortable and cultural things that they thought should be you know, the norm now. They're willing to speak, but they didn't realize that the very freedoms that gave them, that they were given to even protest, were given to them by men and women who died so that they could protest the very things that these men and women died for. It's ironic, isn't it, that we have forgotten and we don't understand There's a quote by John Edmonds on the war memorial from the battle at Kohima in 1944, and I love it, and I've used it before and talked about it, but it's a quote that says, When you go home, tell them, for us, and say, For your tomorrows, we gave our todays. According to the U.S. Army Military History Institute, in our nation... And it's more than 200 years of existence. Well over a million men and women have sacrificed their lives through the Civil War, through two world wars, through several regional conflicts like Vietnam and our current conflicts in the Middle East. Well over a million, just in this nation alone, have shed their blood for our freedoms and freedoms of other people. That's a lot of bloodshed, isn't it? That's a lot of blood given up for our freedom and for the freedom of others around the world. President Franklin Roosevelt said, those who have long enjoyed such privileges as we enjoy, forget in time that men and women have died to win them. So, on this Memorial Day weekend, let it not be said of us that we have uh, forgotten those who gave their all on our behalf and for our freedom. In fact, it isn't a stretch for me to say that we... Today, sit in this worship center and worship freely our Savior because of those who have sacrificed their lives that we might enjoy the weekly privilege of getting together and worship. And so, tomorrow, as you commemorate, and that's really, as I said, what it is it is a commemoration, or if you want to call it a celebration, whatever. But as you do that, I want you to remember, though, more than just the men and women that have sacrificed their life. I also want you to remember another memorial, and that is the memorial of Jesus Christ. I want it to be tomorrow for you a reminder of, of the cost of freedom for our Christian life. The price that Jesus paid for your eternal future and your eternal freedom. And so, if you've got your Bibles open to the revelation of John chapter 1, would you stand if you're physically able to do so with me? In just a few verses there, I want to read to you beginning in verse 4. It says, John to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him Who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ the faithful witness the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings on earth to him that is Jesus who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his look at this blood and made us a kingdom of priests to his God and father to him be glory and dominion forever and ever, Amen. Now, Lord Jesus, would you take your word? We thank you for who you are. We thank you for your sac- sacrifice. We thank you for your shed blood so that we could be eternally free and so we could be free from the consequences of sin. And we pray this morning, God, that we will remember what you did. And as we do, Father, We pray that if our lives are not yours before this service is over, we will yield ourselves completely to you. We want to hear what you have to say for us. Would you speak to us now from your word? We are listening to you, Lord. Speak now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. And you can be seated. Now the revelation, and that's what it's called, uh, sometimes people refer to it as revelations, but it's really the revelation of John. It is the revelation that God gave to John on the Isle of Patmos. It is not a book for the world. It's not, it doesn't make sense to the world. And by the way, it's not even a book for those who profess Christ and yet fail to serve Him. This book was written specifically to genuine believers in Christ. And, 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 this that we read is what we call John's greeting it's his salutation it is his opening kind of greeting to the churches that he's writing to he says seven churches of Asia Minor and uh, those really Asia Minor the churches he was written to were really about uh, primarily southern Turkey I've been there where these seven churches were there are still ruins uh, from the seven churches we say of of Revelation or Asia Minor this is who he's primarily writing to these Christians and he's reminding them of what Christ has done for them in his great sacrifice but he's not just reminding of them of that he's encouraging them also with the fact that Christ died but Christ is also going to return if you look on down in verse 7 we didn't read he talks about the return why is he reminding them of these things it is because they're enduring great suffering and uh, terrible terrible distress as followers of Christ and so he wants to remind them look Jesus paid the price for you so that when he comes he can take you to uh, into the kingdom and so he's reminding he's encouraging this and he tells them that Jesus Christ is the beginning and he is the end he is the alpha and the omega why would he say that to them because sometimes we forget when life gets tough we forget that God is still in control and what he is saying to them is life is tough and life was tough for them. And what he's saying to these believers who were following him, being persecuted for following Christ, he's saying remember, he's in control. God is still in control. He is the beginning and he is the end. Don't forget that. Don't forget what he did for you. Don't forget what he has promised in his return. He is the all in all and he wants them to understand who uh, Christ is and have confidence in the fact that God is in control no matter what the circumstances around them look like. By The way that's a pretty significant word for the age we're living in, isn't it? He's the beginning and the end. Doesn't matter what's going on around you, God is still in control and he is working all things out according to his eternal purpose. And all of this for us is important because of the shed blood that he gave up for us. And he uses that's why he says at the end of verse 5: He loved us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. Think about it. If you are free from sin today, it's because a man named Jesus Christ became one of us. He left a throne in heaven. He came down. He became one of us, took on flesh and blood, and he gave his life so that we could have our lives spared. If you are saved today, you owe it to the Lord Jesus to give him glory and praise with your life because of what he did for you. Don't take for granted the great salvation that we have today. We may look and say about people that take for granted what those who've come before us have done and the sacrifices they made. And I have to tell you, it pains my heart. It pains my heart when I hear these people saying, I don't know about those who came before me, but I want to tell you something. What's even worse and more tragic is to forget what Jesus Christ did for us, to forget what the cross is about, to forget what His shed blood is all about. Don't take it for granted. And with that in mind this morning, I want to give you three things I want to give you three things i think that will be helpful from our passage here number one i want you to notice the benevolence of our sovereign lord it says to him who loves us now in the preceding verses and in the in this uh, particular passage uh, if you go on through verse 8 john clarifies that jesus is god notice in verse 5 the first part of verse 5 he calls him the ruler of kings That means he is sovereign. When we say, when we talk about in this life, uh, uh, sovereign, we're talking about a ruler, a king, or authority. He is the sovereign of all the universe. And he he says he is the ruler of kings. And here's the incredible thing. And then John makes this this remarkable statement. He says, This sovereign, this sovereign king of everything, he loves you. That's what he says. He is the sovereign ruler. He's the ruler. Kings, he, he is truly the King of kings and the Lord of all lords. And then he says, and he loves you. He loves you personally. It's the benevolence of this sovereign. Isn't that an incredible thought that the creator of all things, the Lord of the universe looks down at you individually and says, I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. That's what John is saying. It's like, like John is saying, wow, do you get it? Do you understand that Jesus, the conqueror of the grave, the creator of all things, he personally cares about you. He personally loves you. And by the way, the word for love there is one of three Greek words that we use for love. And if this is the most powerful one used, it is the word agape. And agape denotes that that Christ always loves us. Why? It's in the present tense. Now, let me tell you what that means. So when he says, and he loves you, present tense in the Greek, it means he never stops loving you. It doesn't, like he most of the time he loves you. No, it means because it's in the present, and he loves you, and he keeps on loving you. Every day he loves you, every day. And it's not based on you. In fact, there are a couple of observations that I would make about this. The first thing that John is alluding to is that it is an unconditional, unearned kind of love. That's what that word agape means. God just says, I love you. I just love you for who you are. But you know, you hear too, way too much of my granddaddy's stories now. I, I, you know what, those two little boys, they don't have to do anything for me to love them. I, I just love them. I can't wait. Look, the only thing that will wake me up and get me out of my recliner is when Allison says, <clears throat> they're FaceTiming. Man, I I will get up to see that. And when I hear that voice say, see pops, see pops, you think I say, nah, later. No. Listen, and I have an imperfect kind of love. But he has a perfect love. And when, look, he says... I love you personally, unconditionally. You don't have to earn it. There's nothing you have to do to get me to love. That's what John is reflecting upon here. It's one of the hardest truths for for many of us to grasp, though, isn't it? We think God loves somebody else or God loves them, but does God personally love me? And that's the message he's trying to get over, this benevolence of our sovereign creator, is that he loves us unconditionally. And the reason we have trouble accepting that is because most of the time, we think that we have to be accepted by someone, or we have to do something to get someone to love us or to like us, or they like us or they love us based on uh, what we've done or what we haven't done, or maybe even who we know. But it's just not true. That's not the way God loves us. I heard about a, st- a speaker, he started off his seminar. By holding up a $100 bill. And he said, how many? And there were about 200 people in the seminar. And he said, how many, of you, how many of you want this $100 bill? And hands went up all over the room. I'm going to give this away. He said, I'm giving this $100 bill away to somebody today. How many of you want it? How many of you want to be considered? He holds it up, right? Hands go up. I'll take $100. you are giving a $100 bill away. I'll take one. So he holds this $100 bill up and then he takes, he pulls it down and he wads it up and he crumples it up in his, in, in his hands and it, then he has to re- unfold it and it's all wrinkled and crumbled and everything. He says, now, he says, who wants this $100 bill now? Well, guess what? Everybody put their hands up again, right? He said, really? He says, so he throws it down on the, and he steps on it and he starts grinding it down with some dirty shoes on He picks it up and it's got dirt on it now and it's kind of uh, crumbled up and everything. He says, and now who wants it? Every hand goes up. And then he says this. He said, we've learned a lesson here, haven't we? He said, the lesson is no matter uh, what condition this $100 bill is, it didn't minimize its value, right? And because its value was not diminished, everybody still wanted it. Well, I want to tell you something. That's the truth about you and me. Life has a way of, of, of crushing us. Life has a way of making us fail, and, and we face circumstances that sometimes cause us to say, I'm, I'm not clean, and on and on and on and go. But you know what? Your value to God is not diminished. No matter what you've been through, even if you failed God, and you have, all of us have, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God even if the the world has tainted you and everything, guess what? I want to tell you this morning, your value to God has not diminished one bit. You're still as important and valuable to Him as ever. And another thing to remember is that, that His love is the motive for His sacrificial death. It's not just... Uh, An unconditional unearned kind of love it is the motive it is what motivated And you know when law enforcement attempts to to resolve a crime one of the first steps they take is to determine who had a reason or a motive to commit the crime right we got to find out if you can usually if you can get to the motive you can you can have a a strong lead in resolving uh, what happened well when it comes to Christ's death for us it's accurate to ask well what was his motive what motivated him to go to the cross, to do what he did. And when you answer that question, you come up with what John said right here. And that is his love, his unconditional love, his agape love for you is what motivated him to go to the cross, to die for you. Former Senate chaplain Richard Halverson said, there's nothing that you can do, listen to this, to make God love you more don't miss that because see we try to earn his favor there's nothing that any of us can do that will cause God to say well you know I loved you but now I really love you there's nothing you can do to make him love you anymore but listen he went on to say and there's nothing you can do to make him love you any less well I failed I I'm a failure I've messed up yes you have yes I have but God did not say well I don't love you now Nothing you can do to make Him love you more, but there's nothing you can do to make Him love you less. His love is unconditional, it's impartial, it's everlasting, it's infinite, and it's perfect. So today, I want you to remember that the cross is a a memorial to God's love for you. Now, understanding that God loves us is vital. Why is that vital? It's vital because of the second thing I want to show you this morning, and that is the bondage of our sinful nature. Verse 5, verse 5 says, and he freed us from our sins. The fact that you had to be freed tells you something, doesn't it? Tells you that you were in bondage. Did you know this, that all of us uh, either were slaves or are slaves to sin? Jesus said it this way, truly I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. So what's the solution? The solution to bondage or slavery to sin is that somebody has to pay how do we know that romans 6 23 says for the wages of sin is death but the gift of god is eternal life in christ jesus somebody's got to pay and that's why the blood of christ is so important listen write this down and you go back and and read this passage and meditate it maybe on your in, in your quiet time sometime this week leviticus 17 11. listen to what it says for the listen are y'all listening For the life of the flesh is in the blood. In other words, no blood, no no physical life. But he goes on. And I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. That is an incredible statement. He said, we all know that life is in the blood. You have no blood. It doesn't matter matter, uh, uh, what organs you have in your body. If they're not getting blood, they die and you die. Life is in the blood. And he says, I have made a way to put blood upon the altar so that your soul can be saved. That's what he's saying. The word free or freed, or maybe in your translation you have the word washed, is a Greek word that means liberate. So when John writes these words, he's saying that it is Christ and His sacrifice, His death, His shed blood, that brings freedom, that washes us, that liberates us from being controlled. Now, I just told you about the present tense a minute ago. Something happens and it's continued to happen. Let me tell you what tense this is because this is cool. When it says he freed you in the Greek, it is in what we call the aroist tense. A-R-O-I-S-T. The aorist tense. Let me tell you what the aorist tense is. It's is so different from the, the present tense. The aorist tense says this. There was something that happened back here. This thing happened back here, whatever it is it's done it happened it's done it's completed but it was so powerful that 2,000 years later it is still affecting things so when he says he freed you he said the event happened right there and by the way isn't that interesting because Jesus said on the cross what it is finished it's complete. So Jesus said, I did this, it is done, it is finished, and it will have implications for the rest of history into eternity. So even though it happened back there, it's complete, it's done, it still impacts our life today. Isn't that cool? And so that's what he said, what Christ did on the cross for you still makes a difference in your life today, all the way back there. And that's what he meant. He freed us, he, he did it, he took care of it The blood of Jesus, his death liberated us, and he's done everything necessary for you to be free. That is why Jesus said this. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. The Son has set you free, and all you have to do is take advantage of what he did. It is is the get out of jail uh, kind of card. What Jesus did, it has impact today. And if he has set you free, you are free indeed. Treadmills. Treadmills. I hate treadmills. I told you last week, was it last week I told you about my stationary bike that I ride? I do ride it. I, I do ride it. I ride it several days a week. I hate it, but I ride it. But I hate treadmills even more. Uh, and, and you know what? I studied the history of treadmills to prepare for this message, I really did. That's the kind of boring life I lead. So I studied about treadmills this week. And now I feel justified in hating treadmills after I studied about treadmills. Because you know, treadmills are kind of like stationary bikes. You, you get on, you don't get anywhere. You get off the same plo- place you, you got on, right? I have found that they are useful for things, though. They're useful in our garage for stacking grandbaby toys and stuff on. They're great for storage. But maybe, you know, maybe a, a, a treadmill may be your, your thing. And, and, you know, and, but it, it, it reflects a lot of Christianity, doesn't it? Where people are uh, kind of like running on a treadmill. They're working hard, but they don't seem to be getting anywhere spiritually. And that's kind of how they approach life. But let me tell you a little bit about the history of treadmills. This is what you came for. Treadmills were first introduced in the Victorian era. And they were often referred to in that age as tread And do you know where they were uh, used? They weren't used in air-conditioned health spas or, or exercise facilities. you know where they were used? In prison. That makes perfect sense to me. I now know why I hate treadmills. And they were used punitively. They were used purely to punish people. Yes, they still are. And, and so what they would do often is they'd take a prisoner, and he would have to walk on this inclined treadmill kind of a treadwheel thing, and sometimes all, all day long. And he never got it. I mean, to make it worse, it's punishment, it's hard, it's tiring. And yet, at the end, he was no further along than he was. The only thing he had to look forward to was the day when his debt would be fully paid off, and he wouldn't have to walk on the treadmill uh, from hell to nowhere. And he would be free. That was his only hope. And I want to just say to you this morning if you struggle with sin in your life, then remember that Christ Jesus shed his blood to set you free so that you are no longer sentenced to be chained to the treadmill of sin and failure and sin, and failure, and sin. He has paid the ransom, demanded for your release from sin and captivity. You can now walk in the freedom that is available to only sons and daughters of God. And if Jesus sets you free, there are at least two things He's freed you from. He has first freed you from, from the control of sin. The Bible tells us He has freed us from the control of sin, its rulership over our life. Now, I'm not talking about perfection. I'm not talking about, so if He he set me free, I'll never sin again. That's not what I'm talking about. But I don't have to live under the control of sin in my life. It's the difference between the old you without Christ and the new you in Christ. And you see, if you live, if you allow the old you, to control you guess what sin will control you and if you allow the new you to control you guess what you have uh, the new power of the spirit of God in you to help you battle against the soul the, the sin that tries to control your soul in fact listen to Romans 6 6 Paul says that we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer listen be enslaved to sin, controlled by sin, captive to sin. And so, so if, if Jesus sets you free, you're free from the control of sin. But listen, there's a second thing you're freed from. You're freed from the condemnation of sin. This is, this is great. Listen, Romans 8, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Did you get that? There is now therefore no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free. There it is again, in Christ Jesus, from the law of sin and death. Listen, freedom in Christ means we don't have to live under the guilt of sin, nor do we have to live under the fear of God's wrath against sin. Jesus took his wrath against sin. Now, be careful with that, because you can abuse the grace and the blood of Jesus Christ. Did you know that? Did you know you can abuse, How do you abuse it? You, you can live in willful sin. And, and that's ser- serious. And, and don't ever use an excuse. Don't ever go, "Well, uh, all my sin is under the blood." So it really doesn't matter what I do because it's all covered. I've, I've heard that used. Well, you know, my, my sin's under the blood. The truth is, if you're a child of God, your sin is under the blood. His blood has paid and covered your sin. Okay, that's true. But if you can willfully sin and then you can uh, blow it all off, like it doesn't really matter because my sin is covered by the blood, you got a problem and you need to go back and say, was did I ever really receive His work for me? And And... Uh, and paul addressed the issue in chapter 6 of romans he said shall we continue in sin that grace may abound he said may it never ever be because see that's what the, that's the excuse the romans christians were using they said well yeah, you know we just keep on sinning but god gives grace and he gets to give more grace if we do more sin god loves grace and we love sin so we'll just sin more and god can give more grace and paul said you you're abusing the goodness of god You're abusing the grace of God. So be careful that you don't ever excuse yourself. Say, well, there's no condemnation for me. I'm under the blood. Don't ever be careful. Because the writer of Hebrews also addressed Christians who were using that as their excuse. And listen to what he says. This is a bit chilling. He says, for if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries of God. Do you get what he was saying there? Wow. That's a little chilling. If we go on sinning, willfully sinning, habitually sinning, abusing the, the sacrifice of God, we act as if he did, never did anything for us. He said, you, It's kind of like negating the work of Christ in your life. In other words, though, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ, but we must not abuse His grace that has been given freely to us or abuse His blood that was shed for us. So, so you, you got that, all right? So His compassion, His benevolence toward us is because we need a God that loves us in spite of us because apart from Him, we are in bondage to our sinful nature. Y'all got that? Okay, do like this, okay? We'll break class early if you do it like this, okay? And that leads to the last thing I want to say to you. The third thing that I want you to get, and that is, I want you to see the blood of our sacrificial Savior. So the first is we have to recognize His love. You're right, right? His His benevolence toward us that was freely given, His love freely given, unearned. The second thing is we have to note that is important because of our sinful nature that has enslaved us to sin but the third thing that John says but his sacrificial blood his sacrificial blood freed us notice verse 5 freed us from our sins how by his blood did you know the 20th century is the bloodiest century in human history the 20 we're in the 21st the last century was the bloodiest the bloodiest the bloodiest century in recorded history in humanity a moral history of the 20th century Jonathan Glover estimates listen to this that from 1900 to 1989 an estimated over 86 million people died in wars during that time let me get put it in a different perspective that means 2,500 people every day or a hundred people every hour, for ninety years consecutively. That's how much blood. That's a lot of blood, isn't it? I mean, it represents a lot of blood spilled. And how we, well, we know in this country that blood and freedom are tragically uh, woven together. Let me tell you about a visit I had this week. Um, I had a I had a kind of a delegation from South Korea, uh, Korea that visited with me um uh, a few days ago and there's a reason for their visit uh they don't live in south korea, uh, korea now they grew up there and their parents and family uh are still there and some grew up there um but uh one is a pastor uh he and his wife north of atlanta they pastor a korean american church and another pastor's a korean american church in the memphis area and another is a uh, um one of the leaders in an organization called uh, CLF, Christian Leaders Fellowship, a global organization over 500,000 pastors around the globe, and they came to see me, and they came to see me uh, because uh, for two reasons. Number one, I had spoken at, uh, to pastors around the globe at their global leadership conference back in March, and, um, and so they were... Uh, they were headed this way and the, the coordinator for this global conference was one of them and she and her husband live in Hawaii. And she was part of this delegation that came uh, to visit and I said, well, what can I do? How, how did you guys, she's from Hawaii now. I said, what brings you to South Alabama from Honolulu? And she said, we came to meet you and to see your church. And I said, well, thank you. And they said, well, that's what we want to do. We want to thank you. We want to thank you for the, you know, speaking and all that kind of stuff, you know, uh, at, at our global conference. I said, well, thank you, but you didn't have to come all this way. I said, it was my honor. You, know, you didn't have to do that and all this kind of stuff. No, no, we wanted, Pastor, we wanted to meet you and say hello and say thank you and all this kind of stuff. And then we wanted to see your church and, and that sort of thing. And so I gave them a tour of the church and everything. But in our conversation, we visited for almost two hours. And in our conversation, somehow we got to talking about the gospel. Imagine several preachers talking about the gospel, isn't that something? And we got to talking about the gospel, and and I don't know how we got on it, but we got on the fact that I, uh, this weekend I said I'm going to be doing a, a special message on, on, on what I'm calling blood bought freedom, and I said I want to talk about it. It's Memorial Day weekend here in the U.S. Of course, they've lived here long enough to they understand that, and they said, "Oh yeah, Memorial." And I said, "I want to I want to show that we." Uh, in my message, I want to talk about the blood that was shed so we could be free as Americans, but also the blood that Christ shed on the cross so we could be free eternally. And I said, I want to draw parallels there a little bit. And they said, oh yeah, we understand the importance of blood given for freedom. And then they said this, listen, this is what uh, uh, blessed my heart. They said, we love Americans. And they said, we love Americans and we love the American military. And they said, the reason we love the American military, because if it weren't for them, we would not be free. And if we were not free, listen to this: the missionaries would not have come. And if the missionaries had not have come, many of us would not have come to know Christ. And they they established churches. And now, by the way, in South Korea, they got churches that dwarf uh, churches in America. They're mega massive. He said, but without the American soldiers, we, we would have lost to the North Koreans. We would have lost and we would have been communists. And if you know anything about history, you know that the American troops helped push the communists back to the what's called the 38th parallel. Y'all ever heard that? Look, if you haven't studied your history and they're not being taught this in school anymore, but it was the Americans who enabled that to happen or today South Korea would be communist and the gospel would have had to live at best underground and there would be no churches and you wouldn't have pastors that come from there who are now in America. I said, well, thank God y'all come for, to be missionaries to us because we've forgotten what freedom is and we've forgotten the gospel message in America. We're trying to shut it down. And and so they were so grateful. And I have to be honest, when they started talking about uh, about how America had made freedom for them to express and follow Christ and all of those sorts of things. They got choked up and I got choked up thinking about the power of the gospel and yet because of the freedom they had been given. And By the way, let me just say something to you here. America better wake up. The very freedoms that they talked about having, Americans are losing. And what's going to happen if we don't wake up and if the American church doesn't wake up is we're going to get down the road in another few years and we're going to be stunned and we're going to go, how did it get here? It's why I've been talking to you about this for 10 years. And we have to wake up. Or even the freedoms we now know will be restricted. There's already a move for that that's happening. But you see, the blood of Jesus changes everything. It gives us freedoms that enable us to know God. They were grateful because they know God because of the lives that were the lives that were given up for their freedom, but listen to this, they know God because of the life that was given for their eternal freedom. I rejoice in that I rejoice in the sacrificial blood that was shed. It didn't just change nations, but the blood of the Lamb that changed eternity. The precious blood of the Lamb. Listen to how Peter put it. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and following, he said, knowing that you were, listen, ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold. You couldn't purchase what the, the liberation that came to you. But with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Like that of a lamb. Without blemish or spot. That's how you got freedom. The Lamb of God shed His precious blood for you. The bloodiest war... Fought on American soil was the Civil War. Over 600,000 people died between the North and the South. The bloodiest war fought on American soil. 600,000 people died in that conflict. But what a lot of people don't know is that both the North and the South allowed for what they called substitute soldiers. Uh, That means simply this, a man drafted for military service could literally pay another man to go to war in his place and that lasted until about 1863 in the south and until the south had run out of men and it picked up about that time in the north where more immigrants were coming in and they were often pulled aside and paid to go and fight on behalf of the north in someone's place. But just imagine that. Imagine paying someone to fight in your place. And here's the truth. And in most cases, it's a good possibility you were paying somebody to die in your place. We gather on this Memorial Day weekend. We're humbled, aren't we? We're humbled for those who've come uh, before us. I've been, uh, you see these little white crosses. I've been to Arlington several times, the cemetery there. And there are Thousands of these. You've probably seen pictures of them. And each one of them has an inscription on it. It tells you the name of the person. It talks about how they die. I mean the the field of of service in battle. And you just see them row after row after row. And I don't know how you can't be moved when you see that. But listen, when you look at the cross of Jesus Christ, how can you not be moved? To say that that cross represents Eternity, that cross represents uh, uh, what, my, my, His eternal love and my opportunity to be redeemed. And I didn't have to pay Him. He took my place. He was a substitute for me. He died in my place. He died for my eternal freedom. First John chapter 4 put it this way. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for sin. We sang about the blood earlier. We sang about the blood. Did y'all catch that? We sang about the blood. There's another song called, Oh, the Blood. I'm not going to sing it. But I'm going to share the lyrics. Listen to this. As I was working on this message, this song came to mind. Listen to the lyrics. Oh, the blood, crimson love, price of life's demand, shameful sin placed on Him, the hope of every man. Oh, the blood of Jesus washes me Oh, the blood of Jesus shed for me. What a sacrifice that saved my life. Yes, the blood, it is my victory. Save your Son, Holy One, slain so I can live. See the Lamb, the great I Am, who takes away my sin. Oh, the blood of the Lamb, Oh, the blood of the Lamb. Oh, the blood of the Lamb. The precious blood of the Lamb. What a sacrifice that saved my life. Yes, the blood, it is my victory. Oh, what love, no greater love. Grace, how can it be that in my sin, yes, even then, He shed his blood for me. Thank you for your blood. Thank you for your blood. Thank you for your love. Thank you, Lord. Blood bought freedom in the cross. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for the blood. Thank you for being our substitute. Thank you for taking our sin and bearing it on the cross. And Lord, now, Father, the the best we can do is offer ourselves to you. And I pray for any in this place who have never taken upon themselves the blood that you have spilled to pay for their sin, that today they would call on you that they would apply the blood by receiving Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. And with heads bowed and eyes closed, no one's looking about. Those of you who are joining us by live stream, I offer you this invitation. Right where you are in your heart of hearts, you can call out to him with meaning. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for shedding your blood for my sin. And right now, I invite you to come in and apply the blood to me. I receive you as my Savior. I want you in my life. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for loving me. And thank you for repairing and paying a price for me that I couldn't pay on my own. Maybe you're here, you're watching live stream or in this audience with heads bowed and eyes closed. Maybe you say, you know what? I've forgotten. I'd forgotten, I'd forgotten the blood. I've forgotten the, what he did for me. Today in my heart, I call out to him. I say, Lord, thank you for saving me. But Lord, I've forgotten about the blood. Or Lord, I've taken it for granted. I've taken for granted what you did for me. And today I just want to be renewed in my walk with you. Thank you. For saving my soul. Now I want to invite you to stand with heads bowed and eyes closed. The band is going to play. I'll be down here at the front. Our staff will be over on the side aisles. And with heads bowed and eyes closed. No one looking about. As our, as our band plays for just a few moments before we're gone. I invite you in the balcony or this ground floor to slip out. Make your way to one of our staff. Or hey, maybe you just want to talk with the Lord. The altar is open. Why don't you take advantage of it? Come and kneel. There's something powerful about kneeling before God and I invite you to come and kneel before him around the altar just to talk with him there's something you need to talk to him about come and talk to somebody you need to pray for some decision you've got to make whatever it may be take advantage of this time to come to the altar but if you prayed a prayer to call on him in this building this morning you said I called on him to be my savior would you would you have the courage to to step out and come and take one of these staff members or come to me and say, today, I trusted Christ as my Savior. Maybe in this place today you say, I've, I've done that, but I need a church home or church family, and I want Ridgecrest to be that family. Would you slip out and come and say, Pastor, I want to join. I want to join Rich Crist. We'd love to have you. And so with heads bowed and eyes closed, nobody's looking around, you just slip out from where you are as the band plays and we wait. You come on right now. You ready? Come on.